We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And Paul Huang of the Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation. Thank you for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing the one un air raid drills, the KMT choosing Ho Yoi as its 2024 election candidate at its annual party congress, the latest Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation 2024 election poll, and the government touting its safety guidelines amid heat concerns for those who work outside and in the country generally. But we'll begin with the Hangwang exercises, the live fire phase of which has been taking place here in Taiwan this week. It began on Monday morning with defence officials saying the opening drill was aimed at testing the military's backup operations to ensure there will be no interruption in the chain of command in the event of an attack. Tuesday saw the army erecting a temporary coastal fortification system near the port of Taipei in New Taipei's Bali district in response to a simulated invasion by China's military. On Wednesday, President Tsai Ing-wen oversaw a military exercise at an oil refinery in Taoyuan, despite testing positive for the coronavirus earlier this week. Now the president wore military fatigues, a flak jacket, a helmet and a face mask during her visit to the Taoyuan refinery to observe a military exercise simulating attack on the CPC-operated facility. Tai also attended an anti-amphibious landing drill near the port of Taipei on Thursday. And she once again was dressed in a full military uniform. She boarded a truck there, accompanied by the defence minister and other senior military officials to, well, view the barricades and trenches on the beaches. And speaking to reporters, Tsai said she would never miss a Hanguang exercise during her presidency as it's of paramount importance to national security. She also went on to say that the exercise let the people of Taiwan and the world know of our, being Taiwan, determination to protect the country. And she went on to say that the defence of Taiwan has learnt from the Ukraine-Russia war and the military is now using local terrain to make its defensive positions more challenging. Now this is Hanguang exercise exercise also included its first ever anti-landing drill at Taoyuan International Airport. So, Paul, you obviously were watching this closely this week. Did you see anything special? Some of it was special, got cancelled because of the typhoon. But, I mean, apart from that, was there anything special that you'd never seen before? Well, first of all, the the so-called anti-invasion drill in Taoyuan Airport, that that definitely wasn't the first time in history. Why? Because last year, I was called up as a reservist um, for for a week long um, reserve training, and for two three days we for for we, we were deployed to Taoyuan. That's what happened. That's uh, that that was the same program as last year, uh, and that had happened way before that. Um, um, it's not the first, definitely not the first time. Just the way that that, that they they call it uh, this time. Um, but overall, I like the part about what they say they they were testing the backup command and control to simulate in the case in in the case that the the the, the headquarter or the top command and control chain of command were taken out. Yeah, I don't know the detail how they tested. I suspect it's just it is it, some is is it's not as detailed as as uh, impromptu as that as what I, what uh, would be needed. But again, this is probably the a step in the right direction. However, the other place, other places that I've seen, um, is just similar. It's, it's just in accordance with the the old Hanguang exercise we have seen in all previous years. It's a public relations demonstration, um, mostly stage, if not entirely stage. 
there's is not really meant to test the individual unit or the overall command structure's integrity and uh, and response time. It's just not, and that that that's what it should be. But the the military and the government the government treated it as uh, a PR showcase, which which it shouldn't be. And what about when you were in the military? Obviously, the military here does lots of exercises all year round. I mean, when you were in the military, did you do much better exercises that concentrate on specific topics that you were talking about? Okay, well, there was more than ten years ago. There was in 2012. I for two months I was stationed in Xinjiang Air Air Base. That's our unit was designed was uh, designated to be the one repelling enemy air assault on the airport. It was done ten, uh, eleven years, twelve years ago. So it's definitely something that's being done over and over again. It's just that I don't think what happened then was realistic. What happened now? Again, I don't have I don't have the exact evidence of data, but I think the way they do it now is probably similar to what they do it twelve years ago. They've been all doing this. The units were pre-placed to the the air base or the area surrounding the air base, and on the day of the exercise, they would call up to the runway to to show they were uh, to to show they are uh, repelling the these. Um, Landing uh, these assaulting enemy head, uh, uh, airborne troopers. This is not how how a war would be like. In a real war scenario, these units will be in their usual uh, bases, tens of kilometers away, sometimes hundreds, hundred kilometers away. And then, then, and and when when that assault happened, either Taoyuan Airport, Xinjiang Airport, or other airport. All hell will break loose because that the 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 first report goes to the headquarters and headquarters. Will, how long will it take for them to to figure out to mobilize whatever unit nearby, and then and then for these units to 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 drive their their truck their their armored vehicle um, to the air base? It would take thirty minutes, no, maybe even an hour, given how slow these vehicles are. They're not your usual rural vehicle. Right, and by the time that the air base will already be taken, this is what happened to Ukraine last year. What happened to the air air base near Kiev? The takeover part was done successfully. That was, but uh, the Russians uh, airborne troops they done it quite correctly. What what they screw up was the follow up. Um, their their land their their um land forces component couldn't keep up. They couldn't they couldn't reach the air base in time. So the 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 airborne troops and 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 the other main components of the land forces could uh, could um, protect the beachhead, could protect what they have uh, seeds. That's why the Russians uh, failed. But but apparently there are a lot of these armchair generals on the internet in the West as well in Taiwan. They 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 just talking about oh the the, the Ukraine war proof you can't take over the air and the air base wrong. The Russian airborne troops. Took over it. They successfully established a defensive positions. The air base was rendered inoperational, and they couldn't hold on the air base because the the following artillery strikes by the Ukrainians and the slow and the slow rendezvous of the Russians' main troops. That's why it didn't work out. 
you would be told in the in the case of Taiwan, you better learn from it. It's, de- it's definitely possible for an airborne troops, uh, assault troops, to take over this airport in the way the Russian did it. One thing I often find myself saying in discussing military preparedness, um, or specifically in this situation, exercises here in Taiwan, is that. It's not just an issue for the military. It's also an issue for the civilian uh, leadership in the government, politicians, the corporate world, uh, the public uh, at large. And the issues that Paul identified goes to the latter uh, constituencies that I identified, like the corporate world and the public. And yet again, uh, the message seems to be, We'll we'll do a large exercise, but we really don't want to inconvenience the corporate world or the public at large. So we're going to minimize the inconvenience, like with the you know, a thirty minute air raid drill, which we'll, we'll talk about some more later. Uh, but uh, yeah, there there seems to be a desire or an emphasis on limiting uh, the inconvenience to broader groups of people, and thus we get these exercises. Whereas Paul was describing. The exercise does not show or, or does not give an opportunity for uh, troops from where they're normally based to be scrambled to go to to fight uh, 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 or to try to repel a sudden enemy uh, landing. Instead, they're prepositioned as part of the exercise outside the gates of, of the Air Air, uh, Air Force facility, and then uh, we put on a little show. Uh, so. Until those things change, uh, these exercises don't really emulate real conditions, uh, and frankly, they don't even come close. And what about sighing when and her fatigues, Ross? Uh, It's putting aside her her COVID, and of course, we wish her a speedy recovery. um, It's understandable that the president shows up. It's it's, it's part of the show here for for the annual Hong Kong exercise, but... Uh, it's inconveniencing, and it's even more inconveniencing if she shows up in multiple locations as opposed to one. You know, there's security arrangements for the president, uh, especially with people walking around with guns, because <laughs> this is a military exercise, so there are going to be soldiers, with, more soldiers with guns as opposed to some other public appearance by the president. Uh, so you know, security pro- precautions that need to be taken, uh, all the people that uh, travel with her, her entourage. Uh, and then the desire to, uh, as we say in Mandarin, Pai Ma Pi, you know, to, to please the boss. Uh, that's not actually what, that's not a literal translation. I won't say it on the air. Um, but but uh, you know, the desire to please the boss, will make sure everything looks nice, is, I think, uh, again, to go to Paul's point, detrimental to emulating actual conditions. Moving on now, while the military was honing its skills, the general public were being schooled in what to do in the event of an air raid. As the annual one-an air raid drills took place this week, well, at least some of them did, as Typhoon Doksuri put pay to one slated for central Taiwan on Thursday. Unlike previous year's drills, the government had been stressing that motorists and bus passengers in certain areas would not simply have to wait at the side of the road, as they have in previous drills, but will be escorted to nearby shelters for the 30-minute duration instead. 
Now, while it's certainly very reasonable that the government inform the public where the nearest air raid shelters are, and the National Police Agency has even had a website and an app pointing to them on maps, but there are questions as to whether the over 1,000 bomb shelters island-wide are actually capable of protecting or even holding the large number of people who would be seeking shelter in the event of an attack. Paul, so obviously the government says there's over 100,000 air raid shelters in Taiwan, but of course there's some question about whether they're air raid shelters or parking lots under buildings oh yeah they put these stickers all around uh, i've seen some of them around the place i live these uh, air raid shelters i see them as more of like a um a comforting sign rather than an actual shelter and and on this i am in agreement with the the logic and the policy behind it why? Because it is just unreasonable um, and impractical as well to expect that the Chinese BOA to bomb Taiwan major cities uh, in, in, in indiscriminately. Um, and it is equally unrealistic to 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 expect Taiwan's uh, government or military or the, the to have like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of actual qualified shelters, bomb shelters. I mean, that, that, that is just not doable in 2023. Uh, you, the good news is, given the accuracy, the, the strategy that of the, and the, the priorities of the Chinese People's Liberation Army, their rocket force, their air force, you would expect them to not bomb Taiwan's urban center population center indiscriminately you would expect them to bomb to attack things that they really wanted to attack the command and control structures uh, air, air, um, air, air defense missiles anti-ship missile units um, other troop, troops concentrations places of troops concentrations uh, munition depots uh, ports and air bases these they will attack, and their munitions, their ballistic, the, the, the don't form ballistic missiles, and their long range rockets, and their cruise missiles. Generally, they are very accurate. That's true; they are very accurate. But uh, we we do have some command and control kind of facilities um, that are in downtown Taipei. <laughs> yeah, if they decided to attack, for example, the presidential office, you know, it's it's in the middle of downtown, and as accurate as they may be, something could could go astray a missile could go astray and uh so there, there is some logic to having the air raid shelters or the so-called air raid shelters because they're probably not really built to spec uh, gavin as you said this might just be a, a parking garage under a building or a basement on, uh, of a building that has now been designated to be an air raid shelter uh, but they're not really necessarily built up to spec for for air raids and also uh, they're not stocked generally with provisions that you might need if uh, people were forced to go in there for a number of days uh, well um i'll add, I'll add on that um, if you look at the history of uh, strategic bombing and the casualties that, that, that inflicted on civilians um the the, the the best case would be look at the world war ii the bombing of japan um, both the, um, the, the, the incendiary bombs and the atomic bombs. The incendiary bombs, especially the bombing on Tokyo, could actually kill more people than the atomic bombing um, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's what people, a lot of people didn't know. That 
the the reason that that, that so many people die on the night of March 10, 1945, about more than 100,000 people die because of the firebomb drop. A lot of them died in the air shelters. Because these air shelters, they were on the ground, or these, these were the concrete building people, so were safe. Well, guess what? The, the fire bombs uh, created this uh, fire tornado around the cities, um, and they, they completely cons- consumed the oxygen around the area. And so that even though they weren't burned per se, they also, the, the air, they had no oxygen, and tens of thousands, thousands of people just dying these uh, these uh, the um, stadium, these trains, these train station. So, you, the, if the, that's what enemy intended to inflict upon you, I'm sorry to say, if the Imperial Japan in World War II cannot, they couldn't do it through their capital city. Taiwan couldn't, couldn't uh, Taiwan definitely can't do it in 2023 facing a POA. But I don't think that that's what the Chinese Chinese POA will do. It's just no strategic, no military purpose to target civilian. Another aspect of this, which was not tested in, in the exercise, is though Gavin, you mentioned that the, this year authorities were were instructed to tell uh, people in buses, uh, drivers of, of vehicles that were on the roads, that they got to go into a shelter. They can't just park at the side of the road for thirty minutes. Um, along those those lines, the, earlier this year, I saw a quote from the uh, Philippines' de facto ambassador here in Taiwan. He was talking about the roughly hundred sixty five thousand. Filipino workers uh, here in Taiwan. I'll give you all a great shout out. Thanks for all you do. Um, but but uh, the, the the ambassador, the de facto ambassador, said, "Oh, he's spoken with the the police, uh, and uh, the police assured him that Filipinos would be safe in, in the event of an air raid because uh, you know, there are these many, many tens of thousands of shelters around Taiwan." But what what I, the point I wanted to make is. You know, it's not been tested that uh, in my little apartment building where I live or where the two of you live, that the, the other residents in the event of an area, they're going to like open the door to strangers, let alone uh, you know, foreign workers from, from the different countries uh, that, that they have a lot of workers. This is, we, this is just a great unknown. You're, are people really going to let strangers come in? I mean, we like to think that people would do that in an emergency situation. Uh, but w- we just don't know if, if people who live in a building uh, are going to start welcoming, because bombs are falling you know, in a hypothetical situation. Bombs are falling. Missiles are, are, are uh, attacking targets um, around Taiwan. Are people going to let strangers come into their basement? Uh, and what if they don't have a lot of food? And are they going to want to share their, you know, if they only have three days of food? Uh, these are all just unknowns that aren't tested. Well, I can go back to my point. I think the 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 Chinese PLA they were smart enough not to do it, and plus they don't need to do it. Um, of course, you t- you do these preparation in the hope that chaos and the uh, the incident accident due to these chaos in the wartime wouldn't happen. So you don't you don't hopefully you don't have like stampede at the at the MRT. Where hundreds, where tens of thousands, hundreds of people just die, step, stepping on each other. That's what you don't want to see. Um, but other than that, I see, I think it's um, them not spending much resources or policy priority on the area shelter. That's actually a, a sensible thing to do. Well, somebody made a lot of money printing those stickers that, that there's an air raid <laughs> shelter in this building. And we have to take a short break now here on Taiwan This Week, but we will return after these rather important messages. 
welcome back to Taiwan this week and the KMT this past weekend formally approved new Taipei Mayor Hou Youi as its 2024 presidential nominee at the party's National Congress, which took place at the Banqiao Gymnasium and not a glitzy hotel. Now speaking following his nomination, Hou framed the election as a pivotal moment of decision between a regression and progress, war and peace in the Taiwan Strait and the improvement or deterioration of people's living conditions. Ho warned that under the Thai administration, Taiwan has come to be known internationally as the most dangerous place on earth. But under his leadership, the government will focus efforts on preventing war and pursuing peace. And according to Ho, if elected president, his top priorities will be to strengthen Taiwan's democratic system and military preparedness, while also enhancing cross-strait exchanges and reducing the risk of conflict with Beijing. Meanwhile, KMT chairman Eric Ju told attendees that he's now hoping to not only unite the blue camp ahead of January's election, but also create a governing coalition among all of Taiwan's opposition parties. So, Ross, I mean, you were glued to your television last weekend as they were jumping up and down in joy at the Banqiao Gymnasium. I, I think you, you've alluded to what was the key point, that actually there was a clear lack of enthusiasm and there were a lot of empty seats in the venue, um, whether that was by design or because they couldn't get enough people to attend uh, is a bit of an unknown. Uh, the poll numbers, which we'll talk about a little later, don't really show a bounce. Now, normally you would expect a, a party convention or in Taiwan, we call it a party congress, to have a big bounce for the candidate uh, because people rally around, you know, people who normally vote for the party would rally around the candidate. That hasn't happened either. Uh, so for the most part, this event was a total dud, really. And uh, you, you got to wonder whether it's Ho's campaign team or the Kuomintang, the Nationalist Party's headquarters, what are you all doing? Are you trying to lose this election? Because you're working, you're doing really well, working hard at losing this election. Uh, but well, again, the, the main takeaway I had from this was a lack of enthusiasm, not, not just in the room, but, but in society in general. Uh, and it's reflected in the poll numbers. So, Paul, there was a lack of enthusiasm about the KMT's big bashing Ban Chow. Well, if Ho's uh, selling point is he wants to promote peace, uh, a more um, a more dovish agenda than President Tsai, then he's, he needs to make it make it clear what what exactly that he's going to do, right? So weeks ago, he 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 sort of said during a, a TV talk sh- talk show that that he would abandon the extent the the extension of the compulsory military service. He will not move to one 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 year, but he will retain the four months, and that could that that generate a lot of headline, and it and it seemed to went into the direction that 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 what he wanted, except the next very next day he backtracked. He said, "Oh no 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 no, I I I I agree that the the military defense is important. I would uh, keep one year one year." That is just so foolish of him. To backtrack on things that, that that he already said, plus actually I think that was one of the few incidents that he would have made a difference that he be to to establish himself to show his difference. Again, extending compulsory military service one year, that is that has a majority support of Taiwan. But at this point, you might as well try something new, something to to, to differentiate yourself. 
just just because you have nothing else to differentiate you with. Um, at this point, that he he should try that, and, and but then he backtracked. Reason for that we don't know. But if he's if he wants to showcase him as a more peaceful version of a, a candidate um, than than President Tsai or Lai Qingde for for the um, uh, for that matter, he he needs to have the he needs to have the policy. He needs to have the posture to to just to 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 supporting that. Uh, and he he doesn't think that his mind is in it. And Ross, of course, one person who wasn't there was Terry Gore because he was outside Taipei train station and using Facebook to tell everyone, "I have a surprise coming up." Yeah, the surprise <coughs> might be that he's going to run as a independent, um, or maybe still potential that he would join up with. Uh, Koenja of the Taiwan People's Party, uh, but uh, the, the lack of policy specifics or the U-turn on the conscription. Um, although Ho would probably say, "Well, I said in the interview that uh, I'm okay with one year while there are tensions, and uh, and as long as tensions are reduced, and I'll reduce them, then I'll go back to four months." Uh, but yeah, that didn't really factor much into what transpired at the Party Congress last week. Uh, I don't think uh, the public really knows what Ho's positions are on most issues, uh, so he's really yet to to carve out a difference on on, a, on matters of national policy, other than those broad, uh, you know, I'm going to build more social housing, you know, the stuff that everyone wants to hear. Uh, the good news, I suppose, for Ho is he still has five plus months <laughs> to give us some specifics, uh, but it's hard to be optimistic. Uh, he seems stuck in a rut. He's, you know, the, he's stuck in like this 20% support level rut. Party Congress, which again, would have been a platform to help change that. It, it clearly didn't. I think it's like five months minus one week because of course he's going to Tokyo next week. Uh, well, I, I don't see how that's going to help his his electoral chances either. First of all, he's not even going for a long time. Uh, I believe it's three days, two nights. Um, That's just not a lot of meetings. A bunch of the events will be with uh, the Taiwan expatriate community, a few of whom will actually probably think it's worth their time and money to fly back to vote. Uh, even if they all did, it's, we're not talking about a number of, a number of voters that could actually change the result. Uh, If you told me he was going to raise huge amounts of money, from the Taiwan expatriates that he's going to meet in Tokyo, then I'd say, okay, great. Um, a couple of meetings with Japanese government officials and politicians. Uh, I don't see how that helps his uh, polling numbers. And moving on now, and as we have Paul in the studio today, we're going to look at some of the latest 2024 election-related polls. And, of course, we'll begin with the one released by the Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation recently, Paul. So what does that poll tell us? Well, it's very cons- it's similar to some other polls that we have seen that uh, Lai Qingde still leads the race at 36%, followed by his uh, former Taipei mayor, Ke Wenzhe, at 27%. Hou Youyi is third and the last at 20%. The numbers have not changed that much since our poll in June. Ke Wenzhe's uh, number down slightly, maybe 2%, but he's still pretty still still pretty, looking pretty strong at second place and as as i say before um in my in my analysis uh on election day if this number stay until if this balance stay until election day uh either two things could happen one would be 
that the the supporters of Ke and Zhe would decide that that they they don't they don't like Lai Qingde more than uh, than they want to and then they change their vote to Hou Youyi in the hope that they they would uh, uns- they they would prevent Lai from winning. Or the second case, Hou Youyi supporters. They look at how weak their candidate is, right? There's, there's just no chance because you know, if if he stays at twenty percent, then I think there's thirty six percent. There's just no way that he could he could beat him, right? So on the election day, you might as well vote for Ke Wenzhe, who has twenty seven percent. Who, what, which of the two is more likely? Given the poll number, the second case is more likely that all these voters, these KMT voters, they they could flock to Ke's side. Just because it's, it looks like it's more like it has more chance to unseat uh, to 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 block uh, Lai Qingde. Uh, this is what we call strategic voting. Whichever of the two um, trailing candidates has more has more in the poll is more likely to receive this the, the benefit from this support. And right now, it's not looking good for her because he's the number three, and it doesn't look like he's doing anything to catch up. Yeah, it remains to be seen whether there'll be this uh, strategic voting or what do they call it in Mandarin? Chi, chi ho bao ke. It would be a humiliation for the Gomindang if the Gomindang's leadership, I, I'm just struggling, like trying to imagine, not just Julie Lun, the, Eric Ju, the chairman of the party, but uh, other party personalities that the public pays attention to. What media personalities, legislators, former party chairman, hint, hint, Maing Zhou. It's hard to imagine those people in, in the, the final weeks or days of the election campaign publicly calling on voters to dump or their own guy, abandon their own their own candidate and vote for Ko and Zhe. Well, um, luckily, I think that's probably not going to happen in the case of calming down politicians. Why? Because they also have legislative election going on. Um, they have uh, a hundred or so candidates that's there. Um, a lot of which are um, the, the the district lists that they have to they have to win local elections, and they know very well um, that that for their own self survival, they won KMT's uh, presidential ticket. To stay there, to to at least because if the voters switch to Kerr, they might some of them might as well saying, "Well, I'm not going to vote for KMT candidate. I'm going to vote for the TBP, or, or or just not vote not vote for the KMT's guy, the legislative candidate." They might also not vote for the KMT on the party list. Either of these two things going to tremendous harm to the KMT's uh, legislative. Um, Election performance. So, because of that, local KMT politicians, I don't think they will. They will at least not publicly um, abandon her. Well, Ho's got to do something. <laughs> or there's the other possibility, and Julie Lin knows about this very well because he was involved in it four years ago, which would be to dump Ho and replace him with a different candidate. That that could be one of the reasons. Isn't a lot of speculation about this? Why? Terry Go has not announced yet that he's running as an independent. He's waiting to see whether or not the Guomindang will dump Ho Yoi and, and draft uh, Terry Go to be the candidate uh, to replace Ho Yoi. 
we can't exclude that possibility, uh, and we won't exclude that possibility right up until the deadline in, in a couple of months for go to register to run as an independent, and then you have to collect all the signatures that are required. So for now, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, waiting to see what the Guomindang does, but gosh, they really need to do something if they're going to rescue not just their presidential candidate, and one possibility would be to replace Ho with Go or someone else, but also if they're going to rescue, as, as Paul discussed, if they're going to rescue their legislative candidates or uh, get a result that they don't like, where the TPP does well and the DPP, despite the perception or the polling numbers that show people are, they do have some DPP fatigue, but if people really don't like the Guomindang and the TPP is not p- competitive in a lot of legislative constituencies, uh, DPP might do better than expected. And Paul, what what is it about polls in Taiwan? Are they are they usually reliable, unreliable, or is it a bit of both? Uh, you have to take you have to look at their uh, methodology, uh, what they have published. So in the case of our poll, we publish it on the website every month. Um, the detailed questions. Um, and and some of the demographic breakdowns of the responses, and I also made it into an English translation. It's on the website um, every there, published every month, so you can go search TPOF and take a look for yourself. Some other polls, on the uh, on the other hand, you have uh, these. I would call more politically motivated polls that issue that that published by some organizations, some media that, that they're just not credible, um, especially the, the media polls. So I don't want to name names here, but a lot of the, the pan-green, the pro-government media, including one major television station, is poll is just not credible. And the reason for it is, is I saw wildly off the mark, especially if you look at last year's local election, I think it's not just due to malice, not just due to mal- malevolence on their part. They, they might manipulate, they might cheat the questions and, 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 the, and the samples, and that's one thing. The other thing is also what we call house effect. The, because when the respondents, they hear the name of these media, they immediately assume that, that, that they are not being, that, that, that they have a partisan slant. So, so if you are KMT, if you're not known DPP voters, if you're KMT, you support of Cohen, so you're going to think, well, this this uh, t- this interviewer is just want just wants to hear this and that. So if I don't agree with him or her, then I'm not going to answer. And so you have a lot of uh, no response among KMT uh, potential KMT or no, uh, no known DPP voters, and and that's why you get a very skewed. Uh, polling result even without cheating again i think cheating happened in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these uh, no legitimate polls and moving away from politics now and talking about the weather as it's the summertime it's getting hot and it's getting hotter here in taiwan well that according to a story published by today's china times newspaper which said that data from the central weather bureau shows that taiwan's weather is warming faster than the global average now according to the report the average temperature in taiwan has increased by 0.11 degrees every 10 years over the past 100 years and by 0.25 degrees every 10 years over the past 30 years and the report says 
That's compared with the global average temperature rises of 0.08 degrees every 10 years over the past 100 years and 0.21 degrees every 10 years over the past 30 years. Now, a recent survey by the online job service Yes123 asked its members how they've been affected by working in hot weather and it found that 48% of the respondents said they had suffered heat strokes at work while 53% said that their employers had not taken heat prevention measures when they work outdoors. Now, the survey drew an immediate response from the Ministry of Labour's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, the Directorate General of which stressed when quizzed by reporters that there are laws and regulations to ensure employees' safety when working in high temperatures. They're all part of the Occupational Safety and Health Act and they require employers to provide sunshade and a water supply and a protocol to assess heat hazards at work sites. Now, the administration also said that Labour officials conduct special inspections, checking whether employers maintain a safe environment for employees working outdoors in hot conditions. And as we have Ross on today, who's an expert in working outdoors in labour jobs, <laughs> working outdoors, Ross, in the summer as a labourer. Uh, a few interesting issues that, that present themselves. Um, one, is the public here generally understanding and sympathetic to concerns about climate change? And I think the answer to that, is, broadly speaking, is, is yes. I mean, unlike, say, the United States where uh, a good portion of the population is skeptical about claims of climate change. Um, here, I think the public generally takes this issue seriously and, and believes that remedial measures are necessary. But at the same time, people want to crank up the aircon and they don't want to pay more to do it. <laughs> so uh, those of us who work mostly indoors usually benefit from uh, chili uh, aircon, and uh, we all love it. Uh, hopefully, someone else pays for it. Uh, yeah, that's usually the attitude people will take. Uh, when it comes to people who work outdoors, uh, you know, the government just needs to enforce the law. Um, they, you know, very often, it, when something goes wrong, the situation is is not that there was no on point regulation or on point law, as as the government officials that you cited, Gavin, referenced. There, there are laws and regulations about this kind of thing, so it's just a question of implementation and enforcement. It has been extremely hot; that that goes without saying. And uh, people who work outdoors are susceptible to heat stroke and and uh, more serious uh, conditions. Unfortunately. Uh, I would also call compliance not perfect, but broadly speaking, it's okay. And that's why uh, up to now we haven't seen many reports about uh, people developing serious health issues uh, because they were working outside amid this recent hot weather. Well, I would say that even for people indoor, um, there have been reports uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they told the Kaohsiung Airport, the Xiaogang Airport, there were reports that People, uh, visitors complain, uh, workers at the airport complain about how the air conditioning wasn't set to the proper temperature. The, they were set to, according to regulation, the lowest you can go is 26.5 um, Celsius. But because it's a huge airport, if you set, air, you set temperature on, at, at that level, what happens is there will be pockets of places outside of the air vents and, and air conditions are, um, where the temperature would rise up. They, 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 it's just not 26.5, but like maybe 28, 29. People say that in, in, that's indoor, and you have international tours, visitors. What's wrong with this airport? What's, why, why don't they turn on the air con? And the, 
and the report was that the environmental um the the, the bureau of uh, of the type of the Kaohsiung city government check on the airport frequently so to to make sure they turn they they only tune you down to 26.5 and 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 that that's just not real realistic so after this report was uh, after this was reported there were a lot of the criticisms and i think this really highlights that if you want to first obviously you want to reduce uh, greenhouse emissions and therefore the idea is you yeah, these public places these large um, venues with air conditioning well, you want to set the temperature higher okay it's fine you think that's going to save some carbon emission but at the same time people are not happy it's just because uh, that 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 just not going to work um and i think that that really highlights that uh the taiwan government as uh, in, in the, the both the national and local government they have these prior policies and priorities to try to reduce emissions but the way that they do it is just uh it's not doable and the backlash to these policies might be even more damaging because if they scrap the whole regulations then then these places can turn it down to 22 degree 21 that they, they would defeat years of carbon saving from from having it kept at 26.5 the solution here which nobody wants to talk about in policy making circles is nuclear it's actually get a ceiling fan <laughs> i think th- <laughs> I, th- I, I think it's uh, it's going to prove to be a mistake for taiwan to end its use of nuclear power and uh it, this, this ongoing hot weather and Paul makes a great point about uh, if you were to lower the temperature especially in large facilities um, you're going to defeat a lot of effort that's been made to reduce the carbon footprint of here in Taiwan uh, but if there is serious climate change and if it is going to result in summers that are continuously like this with many days of extremely hot weather People are going to demand colder rooms, <laughs> colder indoors. And uh, there's no magic solution. There is the nuclear solution, which unfortunately, um, even Hoyoe is not uh, uh, enthusiastically uh, endorsing. And that would have been a great way to distinguish himself as well. <laughs> and that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And by Paul Huang. Have a good weekend, guys. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.